pastor here at Bluemont. And man, I'm excited for this year. It's good to, good to be worshiping God together. We are actually, today we're calling our Vision Sunday. And after our worship service this morning, we're having a lunch and a, a vision meeting over at our office down the street that everyone's welcome to. And we're, this is kind of part one of that. We're talking about God's vision for, for his church. And it really struck me as, as we were worshiping this morning that, that I, I felt like the Lord would just whisper to me, hey, remember, this is, it's my church. These are my people. And, you know, that's really, like, that's what the church is. It's not about Bluemont, or it's not about where we meet. It's funny, even my, our, our little daughter, whenever we drive by the Bluemont Hotel, she goes, oh, there's our church. And I was like, no, that's not our church. How many times do I have to tell you? That's, that's where our church meets on Sunday. But the church is the people of God. And, but it's, that's, that's who we are, God's people. And God has a vision for his church. He has a vision for us as, as part of his church. And really this morning we're going to be looking at what kind of church has God called us to be. And, and that means that drills down to each one of us personally. Like, wh- how am I called to be part of the kind of church that God has called us to be. And so, there's a lot of, there's a lot of focus today on, you know, on, hey, being a church that reaches millennials, or being a church that reaches the unchurched, or people far from God, you know, people that don't have a church background, or all sorts of things like that. But I want to kind of flip that question upside down today. And really, we're going to look at it like this, is not ask the kind of question like, what kind of church would so-and-so like to come to? But what kind of church would Jesus want to come to? And I, you know, I have to think that a lot of the stuff that we do as, as churches, and even our church, that Jesus would be like, yawn. And I think I'm going to go do something different. Because that's not really what my idea of, of church is all about. And really, we're going to look at the, the story of the church when it first started in Acts chapter 2. Which is an incredible image that we have of a real people that encountered God and they and the way they live that out as a community was so transformative not only of their li- their individual lives but their city and ultimately the whole world that we're here today because of because of them in many ways and so what kind of church would Jesus like to come to you know this there obvious you know I, it's it's it should be obvious I don't know if it is but one, a truth is that God is everywhere Okay, Jesus is everywhere, and so we're not taking away from that. And it's also true that wherever, the Bible says, wherever two or three believers are gathered in his name, that he's in our midst. And so that's a very real reality, too, that we don't have to like conjure something up or try to be something, but it's when we come together in his name that Jesus is with us. But, we're gonna, but there is also a reality that Jesus' presence, or God's presence, is more tangibly felt and Expressed in some situations and some groups of people more than others. There are some groups of people where I think Jesus really feels very much at home. And he's like, yeah, this is, this is what I'm after. This is what it's about. And his presence is exhibited and manifest, and miracles happen in that environment more than, more than in, other, in other environments. And really, we want to be that kind of environment. We want to be that kind of people that are, like, Jesus himself is like, yeah, I want to be with these people, not just because I love them like I love everyone, but I, this is really what my heart is all about, and I want to show myself real in this environment. And so 
We're just going to look at, at Acts chapter 2. This is the day, it was the day of Pentecost. It was the day that the church was birthed, and we're not going to read the whole chapter. But it's an incredible story of how after Jesus died and was raised from the dead and spent 40 days revealing himself to people, showing up, talking to them. And then he, but before he, he ascended to heaven, but before he went back, he told his disciples, he said, hey, you're going to go be my witnesses to the whole world, but first wait in Jerusalem for the promise that I'm going to send you of my spirit. And so there was a group of 120 people, about how many seats are in this room, that met in an upper room, kind of like this is an upper room, and they were hanging out and praying and waiting. And then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them, and miraculous stuff happened. They, they, were, they spoke in other languages of all the people that were gathered in their city, and there was a boldness and a power that came upon them that really launched the church. And and Peter ended up standing up in front of this huge crowd that was gathered and gave testimony to who Jesus was and the fact that he was God's Messiah and that this very crowd, many of them had crucified him about 40 days before or you know, a, couple, a few months before. But, but God had raised him from the dead and he was the Messiah. And so the, the people were, were pierced to the heart, it says, and they said, oh my goodness, we are guilty, we are sinners. What must we do to be saved? And Peter said, repent, be baptized, you'll receive the Holy Spirit. And a huge, a huge group of about, a, a group heard that message. And in verse 41, that's where we're going to pick up right here. I'm just going to read verse 41 through 47, and we're going to just talk about this today. It says, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That's pretty awesome. That's, that's some pretty amazing dynamic activity of God where 3,000 people become believers and are added to the community of God in one day. And then it describes the, the, the life of this church community. And it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and were distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. All right, we're going to just talk about this a little bit more. And if you have a Bible or if you have a Bible app, you might want to just have it open because we're going we're to talk about this, this picture. But first I just want to say, wow, what a radical, incredible group of people. What an amazing community. I think most of us, when we read that, we're like, wow, that's great. I would, I, I, the world needs communities like that. I would like to be part of a community like that. And... These were real people. They were real people with weaknesses and fears and insecurities and jobs and responsibilities and pressures of life. All the same stuff we do, we have. And I'm so glad that, that God intersected their lives in such a way and they responded in such a way that they were able to be this kind of church. That they actually did it. Like they've, for 2,000 years, people have have read this and seen this image and said, wow, that's what the church at its best 
should look like. And it's not just something written in a theoretical book, but it's real people who lived it out. And that's encouraging to me because it says, wow, then, then we could live this out too. And, you know, and I really think we are living this out in a very real sense, very real way. And really there are, I want to just talk about three things in, that, that mark this church that I believe God wants to mark our lives. Um, three, and these are our overarching themes, and they're kind of all interrelated. But these are the things that make a church that Jesus likes attending. The first thing is, I think Jesus likes coming to a church that has a sense of awe. The, this church, it says that in verse, verse 43, that awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. There was a sense that they had that there is something awesome about, about God. There is something awesome about Jesus. There is something worthy of, of, it's noteworthy and it's amazing who he is. And not only that, but what he's doing in our midst. And out of that atmosphere, miracles were happening. People were being healed. Signs and wonders were happening. And, you know, he's kind of like, wow, they, it was natural for them to be in awe because God was doing such awesome things. And I, I think about, like, the eclipse tomorrow. You know, that's, that's something that has gotten a lot of people's attention. It's, wow, this hasn't happened since 1979 in, in the U.S., a full eclipse. It's passing very close to us. A lot of people are like, wow, this is, you know, we need to find those glasses, and you can't, they, you can't find them because as soon as anyone has them, they're snatched up really fast. And a lot of people are like, what do we want to see this? Because it's something we've never seen in our lifetime. The whole, the sun's going to be blocked. And it's going to get dark in the middle of the day, and these huge heavenly bodies are going to be lined up in a very unique way that's going to have unique manifestations and ramifications. And wow, that's, that's pretty awesome. And I'm actually fortunate that, that Rob, who was up here earlier, is a real guy who understands the cosmos and stuff a lot more than me. And it's my day off, and so he just told me, hey, I'm going up to Nebraska tomorrow. I'm like, hey, can I go with you? Because I don't know really what to do, but I want to go with you. And that's, you know, let's tag along. This is easy. So I'm excited to go like, see this thing up with the crowds in Nebraska tomorrow. But what's that? Oh, yes, that's right. Road trip to, to Nebraska. <laughs> so, but when you see something amazing, it's, it's natural to be in awe. And that's, there's nothing more amazing than God. There's nothing more amazing than Jesus. There's nothing more amazing. I remember as a kid that when like, I realized, I heard the story of Jesus and his death and resurrection, and I, I realized this is the ultimate in all of history. This is the ultimate story, that God became a man and died for us and gave his life. That's awesome. I remember being, being about to enter middle school, and I went to this Christian youth camp. And I had I'd heard about God, knew a lot about God, but something happened one night at this camp where they were actually talking about this, this idea of God's Spirit being poured out upon people. And this room full of 11 and 12-year-olds was just overcome with the presence and power of God. And kids are weeping. And kids are falling on their, on their faces and their knees. And people are experiencing spiritual gifts. And, and I felt God's presence just thick in the room like I'd never experienced it before. And probably in a way I've never experienced since. And and I was just, my overwhelming thought was, wow, God is real. God is so real. And if God, if, if God is real, that's the ultimate. Like, 
What else is there to live for besides a God who is, who is so real, who is so powerful, who's created everything? And so God, there, we should have a sense of awe. But it's, it's interesting that seeing something awesome doesn't necessarily make you have awe about it. You know, if it wasn't for Rob, I probably would miss the holy clips. You know, I'd, I, I would miss out. There were, there were people in that room with me when I was like 11 or 12 years old. I, I met a guy, my closest buddy at that camp. I, I, we moved different directions, but I, we lost track of each other. But I, I met him about 15 years later. And he was living a life that it involved addiction to drugs. His wife had been addicted to drugs. They had lost their marriage. He was now trying to raise this like two-year-old. He was addicted to just spending his whole life in front of a screen playing video games. I was like, wow, we were in that same room and experienced the same thing. But somehow that hasn't continued with you. And, and it's been, a, you know, it's, it's not that it's been easy for it to continue with me because there is, God shows his goodness to us. But there is an aspect of how do we respond? How, how do we weigh his awesomeness? I think of the story of Moses, when Moses first saw the, the bush that was burning, but it wasn't consumed. And it says that, that Moses said, I'm going to turn aside and see this strange sight, why this bush is burning. And I think you know, that was an essential part, that maybe not everybody would have turned aside. They would have been like, oh, there's a bush on fire. Well, I hope it doesn't, you know, we better get far away, or maybe hope it just dies out. It's a desert here, it should be okay. But he noticed something different about it. He said, I'm going to turn aside. And then God said, he got close, and he heard the voice of God that said, hey, this is me. The place you're standing on is holy ground. Take off your sandals. And I believe God is, he is near to us. He has come near to us in the person of Jesus. And he is he's inviting us to a life of being close to the presence of God. But it involves us turning aside from just ordinary things and seeing him as awesome. And out of that sense of awe, Jesus comes near and we, we experience him more and more. You know, today, there, there's more competition for our amazement and awe than ever before. Now, we have brilliant people with amazing technology trying to get our attention and, and sell us stuff and entertain us. And, there's, and we become, it's, it's easy to just be blasé. To be every, nothing really catches our attention anymore because there's so much. And, but, but there is nothing that compares to the awesomeness of who God is and, and what he wants to do. And so the question for us is, will we be amazed? Will we be in awe? Will we turn aside and have a sense of awe towards him? What will we be enamored by? So Jesus comes to a church with a sense of awe. The, the second thing about this that I think that, that was in the church in Acts, that a place where Jesus likes attending, is this was a church full of believers. Right, well, duh, that's what a church is, and believers. But it says in, in, uh, in verse 44, it says, All who believed were together and had all things in common. And it's interesting and important that one of the names for Christians is believers. That's who we are. We're people who believe in God. And I've actually got a friend who, who a good friend of mine, he plays an instrument on a worship band here in town, and he doesn't believe in God. He doesn't know if God is real. He doesn't know if God exists. And 
Like, something's wrong with this picture. Like, the first time I started talking to him about stuff, it was like, now, where do you believe about guys? Like, well, I don't really know whether I believe anything. Like, and you play in your churches? Okay, this is really interesting, but I guess they like your skills, which he's got some. But it's, a church is not nominal people. It's not, it's not a social thing. It's, I mean, it is a social thing, but it's not just a social thing. But it's people, all the people before this, they were those who had repented and trusted in Christ. They were believers. And the first part of believing is not trusting in ourselves so much, not believing in ourselves so much, seeing that we have a need and believing in God. And so a church is made up of people who have personally turned from their own way and personally believed in Jesus. But they didn't just believe at one time, but they continued in a lifestyle of faith. A lifestyle of believing. You know, I think sometimes they sh- we shouldn't be called believers. Some- sometimes we should be called believers. <laughs> like, I believed, I have believed, because we're, I'm a believer. <laughs> it's easy to be a believer. But that's, that misses the whole thing. We, it's not just about having believed at some point, but it's believing right now. The Bible says faith is. Faith is always in the present tense. It's always a matter of right now, am I trusting in God? Am I putting my hope in Him? Am I looking to Him for my fulfillment? Am I looking for him, to Him for my victory? Am I looking to Him? Am I believing Him for my health? Am I believing Him for the financial needs that I have? Am I believing Him for my family? Am I believing Him for my campus, for my community? God, that's what believers are. That's what the essence of the DNA that God gives us when we're born again is that we're believers, that we're made to believe. And even before we're born again, we're, we're looking for something to believe in because that's how we're wired. And, and Jesus loves faith. Jesus loves when people have faith. He's attracted to faith. It's kind of like a, a shark is attracted to blood. It's like there's blood in the wire and water and the shark's going to find it. And Jesus is like that. He's, he's looking over the earth all the time. And he's like, there's some faith. I'm going to go to this spot because this person has faith. Right now, he, he is drawn towards faith when people are approaching him and looking to him and, and, and trusting him. That's, that's how he is. And so, Jesus loves faith. And so, man, he's inviting us. He's encouraging us, man, to believe him. To this year, like never before, to believe him for our own lives. To believe him for the challenges we face. To believe him for our friends and our commu- for this community, for the world, to say, God, you can do anything. I want to be a believer. And Jesus loves showing up in a group of people that are believers. And then the, the last thing I want to talk about is Jesus is drawn to a church of miraculous togetherness. Miraculous togetherness. And you read this description of the early church. That is probably the thing that jumps out the most to me, is there was an element of them coming together and living together that is phenomenal. It is uncanny. It is from another world. Really, it's more miraculous to me than the healings and the, 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 the other signs and wonders that God was doing. But wow, a group of people lived in such a tight-knit community that they didn't consider anything their own. And whatever resources they had, they were, they were looking for opportunities to invest them in God's kingdom, to invest them in God's people, to find a way to give of what they had for others. That's like the opposite of the American dream, right? 
Like the American dream is, is, has morphed into this thing of like accumulating more and more stuff so I can have a nice life for me and my little circle. But this is more about, no, how can I take what God has given me? And how can I put God first with it? And live for the sake of, of other people beyond myself. Um, you know, this is obviously a huge need in the world today. I think, apart from the solar eclipse, probably the biggest story in the news right now is, is the aftermath of the murder that happened um, by a white supremacist in this past week. And just the exposure of, man, there, this is a real evil that is much more present in our nation than most of us realize. And, you know, I don't know how widespread, how many people that would, would hold to that ideology, but it's, it's way too many, and it's way too present. And, but the, the most encouraging story I, I saw this week out of that was that there's a story about a guy named Daryl Davis, who's a blues musician. He's an African-American. And he has devoted much of his life to finding white supremacists and members of the KKK and initiating friendships with them. And saying, hey, I want to get to know you. Because you, how can you hate somebody you don't know? And he has befriended literally hundreds of people this way. He's devoted his life to this. And dozens and dozens and dozens of KKK members and white supremacists have become his friend. And the result of that is they've gotten rid of all of their old ideology. And actually, Daryl Davis has a collection of Klan robes that his new friends have given him. It's kind of like people have like a deer head on the wall, you know, like, this is like, hey, here's another Klan robe. I got that. So, but he's like, hey, I don't even, I'm not trying to convert him. He's a Christian. But he's like, I don't try to talk them out of it. I just I say, hey, how can you hate someone you don't know? And he's got something the greater of, of God, that, that miraculous community, that miraculous togetherness that comes to the people of God. And he's building bridges and building a community that only God could do. It, it's an amazing thing. And really, this is, the church is the people that have the answer for society. The church is the people that have what it takes to bring people together. And, you know, this isn't just church meetings, but it's opening up our lives. It's, it's building relationships. It's opening up your hearts with people and you're vulner- being vulnerable, sharing what's going on, finding accountability, finding encouragement, living with people. We've got a lot of people in this room that actually live with one another, it's just, which is really cool. Um, you know, some of them are married and have kids. That's, that's good that they live together, but some of them, are not, some of you are not married. You're just you're singles that are living together for the sake of encouragement and camaraderie and discipleship and growth. And man, it's, this is what the world needs. Um, but it's miraculous. When you hear of rich people selling their property and giving it to a community, that's pretty miraculous. Jesus said that it's harder for a camel to, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And this was some wealthy people that their hearts were so transformed that they were like, hey, it's not mine anymore. Whatever I have, it's, it's, it's God's and it's for his people. It's for his purposes. How, how can I use what I have for others? And so I just want us to ask ourselves, hey, am I, am I participating in this sort of miraculous, miraculous togetherness? Um, am I participating in community in, in a miraculous way? 
So what do we do with this? I want to just kind of go back. Like, what's, I want to have, leave something for every one of us to have a next step. Like, what can I do? How can I, how can I come into this more fully? And so, maybe this morning, God wants you to, is, is touching your heart to increase your awe. To increase the sense of awe that you have towards him. How do you do that? Well, I just want to give you a couple things. Uh, one of the best things to do is, is set aside time. Set aside time to pray. Set aside time to read God's word. Set aside time to, to listen to what God would say to you. It's not a, an accident that the people upon whom God's spirit fell were the 120 who, who set themselves aside and said, we're going to pray and we're going to listen and we're going to wait for God to, to pour his spirit upon us. And as they had enough awe of him to turn aside, God did awesome things for them. And so we can set aside, we can, you know, praise and worship is a powerful way to increase our awe. You know, it's something that happens as we come together on Sunday mornings and we praise and, and worship that our perspective changes and we, we see how good God is and how big he is and how awesome he is. And that doesn't just happen. That doesn't just have to happen on Sunday morning, but that can be a lifestyle for us as believers. Um, that's one of the descriptions here in Acts 2. And in verse 47, it says that they were praising God. And having favor with all the people. They were out of this overflow of their hearts and the choice of their lives. They were, they were giving God praise. And that sense of awe just increased as they, they lived a lifestyle. Not of complaining, not of thinking about their problems. Not about thinking about their problems, their, their challenges, but, but praising Him and worshiping Him. And then the more we learn about God's character, as we study the Word and learn who God is and build a relationship with Him. Even one of the things that helps me, that's helped me just stir my heart in this sense a lot is even not just reading about God, which is, is the most important thing, but even reading about other people, other men and women of God. Read, reading, I've read biographies of people like Amy Carmichael and Hudson Taylor, others, and like, wow, they encounter God in a real way. And I want to live that. I want to experience that too. So there are ways that we can increase our awe. We can increase our, our faith, increase our believing. The main way that happens is by hearing and reading God's word. Romans 10.19 says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. When we hear God's word, it does something inside of us. It prompts faith. It builds faith. And so if we want our faith to increase, we need to hear it. We need to listen to it. We need to, to read it in a way like, God, I want to hear you. I want you to say something to me. And as we do that... We, our faith increases. And then it's, it's also stepping out in faith. That when God prompts our heart, or we see an opportunity to do something, that one way to know if it's God is if it's really scary. And if it's impossible. If, if we have an idea that seems impossible, that's probably a God thing. Like, that, that's a good chance. Like, that seems like really scary and beyond my ability. That may be God prompting us to do something crazy. And as we do that and see God come through, it's amazing how how our faith grows because we see that God, God is trustworthy. So we can increase our awe, increase our believing, and finally, God wants to increase our miraculous togetherness. Increase that, that, that atmosphere and that lifestyle of togetherness with one another. And one of the, one of the ways this happens is we, saw, we see in Acts 2 that the disciples, the believers, were, they were giving of their time. They were giving of their resources. They were giving of their money. And there's a principle in the Bible of 
uh, it's a first fruits principle. In the Old Testament, the, the people of God were told, hey, when you get a harvest, take the first part of your harvest, the first fruits, and give that to God. Take the first and the best and give that to God. And this is a principle that applies to every part of our lives. Our finances, our, our money, our time, our relationships. That a lot of times we tend to be like, well, I don't know if I'll, you know, let me take care of these other responsibilities and needs first. And then we end up, there's not anything left. But there's a miraculous dimension of walking with God. That when we give Him our first and we give Him our best, then we find the pleasure of being part of God, of God's purpose and experiencing God's presence with us in a very real way. And we realize, and we experience also that God comes through and provides for all our needs. Like, I mean, I don't have time to go to that meeting. I don't have time to be part of that Bible study. But we say, you know what? I think God's calling me to, to give myself to this. I'm going to give God my first and my best. And it's amazing how God multiplies our time. Our finances, whatever it is. It's, you know, in America, it's uh, the wealthiest nation in history, probably. And fewer than 10% of people who call themselves believers give God the first fruits of their finances by tithing. And so you wonder, like, well, no wonder we're not experiencing this miraculous togetherness and this miraculous life because the very practical things where God has instructed us and given us an opportunity to set aside the first fruits and put Him first, when we don't do that, we don't experience. But when we do, man, the... the, the the way God comes through is, is so amazing. So I want to encourage us this morning to give of our best. Give of our first fruits. Give of the first fruits of your money, your time, your talents to God, to his church, and to others. And if you want to increase your miraculous togetherness, come to our vision lunch and meeting today, too. We'll be talking more about that. So awesome. Well, I, I was excited that, man, to be part of God's people with you all. I'm excited about the miracles God is doing. I'm excited about the, the lives that have been changed in the last year, the people that have come to faith, the people that have seen breakthroughs in their lives, the, the growth that's happened, the relationships that have happened. And, and I just believe God wants to take that even to the next level this year. That he's inviting us to say, hey, will we be a people that invite him to be a people like, yeah, I want to, I you are in line with my heart. And I'm going to show up and get behind that in a powerful way. And so I want to pray for us and ask that God would, God would lead us into that. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for, thank you for coming near to us.